Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Um, I just want to take a second really just say thank you again. Uh, two, two weeks ago, when we had our fellowship meal. Uh, y'all surprised uh, Annie and I with uh, se- several of y'all wrote notes, letters to, to our family, um, just saying all sorts of things. We, we read those uh, on the road as we were traveling last week, and so thank y'all uh, for the kind words. We, uh, we cherished every single letter uh, that we read. Um, y'all also uh, gave us a painting by one of our local artists, uh, Selena Noss, of the church. It's just a beautiful, beautiful painting uh, of our church, and of course, every time we, we're going to hang it in our bedroom, uh, and every time we look at it, we'll think about all of y'all, uh, because the church is not a building, the church is, is, is you guys, you know. Um, thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart. It's been, um, I was about this this morning, um, the last 10 years of having the privilege uh, of being able to preach God's Word, um, to share the hope uh, of the world, you know, like, w- w- what hope do we have? Uh, and week after week, being able to share that with y'all has been an immense privilege and blessing uh, of my life. I, I think uh, the first Sunday when y'all called me to be your, your senior pastor 10 years ago, of course, I was much younger, had lots more hair, and I, I, you know, there was little concerns from some of our members, oh, he's too young, he's too young, he's too young, and I was too young. But I think I promised that, that I, I could, well, I couldn't promise anything. The only thing I could promise is that I would age. I would get older at some point, you know. And um, that's happened, man, I, um, or is happening. Uh, but 10 years, man, what a blessing. Thank you all. It's, uh, love, love all of you. Um, so with that said, over the last several weeks, <laughs> we've been learning what does it mean to pray like a Christian, that to pray like a Christian is, is a little different than praying prayers to you know, our lucky rabbit's foot or our little whatever that we, we do. It's, it's different praying like a Christian. And so far, Jesus has told us that true prayer is first and foremost, it's God-focused. That it starts with God. Before we get to our needs, our wants, our wishes, Jesus tells us that true prayer begins with this gracious call and this, this reminder of the gospel that, that we're not just praying to some far-off spirit in the sky, um, but we're praying to the creator of the in, like, entire universe who, in his mercy, sent his Son so that if we are in him, in Jesus, he has adopted us in, and he's given us the privilege, not of calling him like the big man in the sky, right? but given us the privilege of not even calling him the great and powerful Oz, But the majestic and holy Yahweh invites us to call him Father, which that in itself should make us almost pass out. Um, Which means he's he's loving and caring enough to welcome and hear our prayers. And at the same time, he's powerful enough to do something about them. Okay, And then as we hallow God, we we declare that that he is ultimate, not, not us. That he is wholly other. And we're called off the ledge of thinking the whole world is on our shoulders and our ego is deflated, being reminded that this world isn't about our kingdom. It's not about our will. 
but it's about God, that God is for God. And we found that if, like, if we just have that, that's worship. We're good. So Jesus says before we even get to typically what we spend most of our prayer lives praying, we've got to know the truth about who God is because praying in light of that is the only thing that empowers us to really pray like Christians can pray. Okay, So that's been the last three weeks. And this morning, finally, <laughs> finally we arrive to the part that, that we, we like, more people like, right? Jesus is about to start teaching us what it means to pray for ourselves, uh, as only Christians can pray. And so with that, let's hear Jesus' teaching on prayer once again, and then we'll pray. This is God's Word. Luke 11, 1 through 4, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples to pray. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, may you, through your spirit, speak uh, through your word. Um, as your word says, the the horse is made ready for battle, but the victory uh, belongs to the Lord. Um, Lord, this sermon has been, it's been prepped. Um, to some degree, I feel like I, I know what needs to be taught from this passage. Um, and Lord, may you come and declare the victory. Uh, Lord, may you come and cause hard hearts to be open. Uh, cause unbelievers uh, to hear the good news. And Lord, soften us by your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So what, what does it mean to pray for daily bread? What does it mean to pray for daily bread? Well, two things for us, at least this morning. First, praying for daily bread is a confession of daily dependence on the Lord. Daily dependence. And then second, it's a cry of future confidence in the Lord. So daily dependence, future confidence. Uh, so first, a confession of daily dependence. You know, Jesus is giving us a palate cleanser here, uh, calling us back really to our standard operating mode, that all we are and all we have comes from the Lord. Um, everything is lived out in light of that reality. And like, oh, how we wish this prayer read, give us this day our weekly bread, or give us this day our monthly or even yearly bread. You know, because that way we could kind of store away some and, you know, we could kind of, you know, eat some bread and we're okay, but we could, store, we could keep back some for the hard days, um, Right? Um, you know, we could coast on the windfall for a little bit. And, and, and this is really challenging, especially for evangelical Christians in America, because we've, we've all been steeped in this, you know, Protestant work ethic slash Dave Ramsey financial security culture, cut up your credit cards, right? It, it's ingrained in us to hedge against the, the unknown, you know, to, to cushion against the future. And we can't control everything, and so we're told to plan for the unexpected. Have your emergency fund built up, let's, let's keep it. We're encouraged to save. And, and look, there's nothing here discouraging us from that. I mean, that's, that can be wise, right, to, to save. Um, some of the most faithful people in the Bible were extremely wealthy people. Um, but, as we see, if our source of security is merely resting in the fact that we have an emergency fund, or that we are financially 
secure in the future, then it's really tempting to lose sight of some of what it means to be God's child, daily dependent on His grace. You know, how we want to be like that, the car, the Jaguar, what is it, the XF20D? Any of you heard of this, this car? Jaguar XF20D, uh, which you can fill that thing up with gas. It's not an electric. You can fill that thing up with real gas. And, and like, you're good to go for the next almost 1,000 miles, okay? Like, you're good. Uh, you don't have to worry about gas for a long, long time. But unfortunately, <laughs> Jesus reminds us that as creatures, we're much more like my brother's Tesla, Okay? And that we may look really good, and we may think that we're with it, but we can't wander too far from our power source. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we're extremely dependent on a recharge pretty much daily. It, this made much, way more sense in Jesus' context because back then you know, they were without preservatives, without deep freezes. Bread, bread went stale pretty quick. I mean, you almost needed a fresh loaf daily. And so planning is wonderful, but Jesus is saying, well, I love you, but, but don't get ahead of yourself. You know, before you start thinking about how things are going to be the next decade, just know that life is happening today, like, like today, right now. Uh, stop making so many plans of what you're going to do tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And like, let's just do that today. And thankfully, God has promised us his grace for today. So, so life is lived one day at a time. And really in a world in which we can feel, at least I can feel like, the whole world is on our shoulders. This is an invitation to sanity, is it not, when we pray this prayer. To remember that we're not God. To remember, as Job said, I am of small account. One day at a time. You know, whenever the Hebrews talked about God's power and God's provision, they always went to two places. They went to creation and they went to the Exodus, and they saw all of life in light of God's gracious provision. I mean, if you think about creation, you're reading Genesis, you see that God provided for man before he even made man. Like, that's how much he provides. That God made man last, and he said, look, I've given you every plant-yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth. I've given you every tree with its fruit-yielding seed. It shall be food for you. Literally from the very beginning, like we see God as a provider. If you were to check his resume, that's what it says. God is provider. And then here when Jesus said, give us each day our daily bread, every Jew in the audience, every Jew's mind would have flashed back to the Exodus, back to their forefathers crawling out of their tents in the wilderness and seeing this, this kind of flaky stuff on the ground. McLeod read about it this morning. And they called it manna, which literally translates what McLeod read, what is it? That's what they said, like, what, what is this stuff? Well, that's what manna means, it's what is it? Um, well, it was literally daily bread from heaven. Somebody went outside and they ate it, they were so hungry, they tried it out, and they're like, this is bread. And had God not provided for Israel in the wilderness, I mean, in that, I mean, a literal food desert, they wouldn't have made it. You know, the fact that the Hebrew people didn't become extinct in the desert is testimony to the fact that our God is a provider. We all, we too, we too live in a fallen world. And in many ways, we live in a wilderness. Uh, we go out and we do life in a, a food desert for our soul, right? And apart from God's daily gift of sustaining grace, we too would be extinct. 
Like there would be no hope. There, there would be no church, no future. So, so this really, first and foremost, as we pray for daily bread, this is an invitation to, to worship. It's an invitation to, to give thanks for all that the Lord has done. And then I suppose we need to talk about what this promise of bread means because as Americans, we have this uncanny ability. We just call everything bread, right? Everything is a bare necessity. I have to have it. You know, when we fear man more than we fear God, then a whole lot of our wants start to become needs to the point in which, you know, we see what our friends have um, or we see what the madmen, we used to call it, the madmen tell us that we need to have. And we start crying out like I did in junior high for Reebok pumps. My parents couldn't afford a $150 pair of shoes that I wore for like six months. Like, but I needed them, right? You know, we start crying out for things like their bread, like, you know, new Polaris Rangers and trips to Disney and organic free-range avocados, right? Like their bread. And we're insane, And like the Rolling Stones said, like, we can't get no satisfaction. Though we try, and we try, and the Players Ranger didn't do it, and the Reebok Pumps didn't do it, and Degummit, that avocado didn't even do it. You know, because there's this hole inside of our souls that it's fun. You know, we can do the the consumer therapy, you know, shopping therapy, and and it gives us a little buzz for a little bit, but still the hole is, it's insatiable. It's only one thing that can fill that. Listen to what the church father Cyprian said in the two, this is like 200 AD, so a long time ago. 200 AD, this is what Cyprian said about people in the early church who mixed up needs and wants. Apparently they had that problem too. He wrote, their property held them in chains. Change would shackle their courage and choke their faith and hampered their judgment and throttled their souls. I mean, dang. He said, they think of themselves as owners, where it is they rather who are owned. Enslaved as they are to their own property, they are not the master of their money, but it's slaves. Derek Thomas said, wanting more than we need is what bends our lives out of shape. And, you know, we grow up teaching our children this. You know, we're, we're good about teaching our children the difference between a want and a need, and yet we could be so slow to learn the lesson ourselves, can't we? We all, this prayer of daily dependence has a way of destroying that. It destroys greed. You know, as Christians, we have this tendency to really kind of over-spiritualize everything and believe that all God really cares at the end of the day is about the soul. That's all he really cares about. But that's not true. And now, yes, Scripture tells us it's very critical of people who care about the body so much that they neglect the soul, forfeit their soul, But the reality is that God created us as as physical and spiritual beings, which means there's nothing unspiritual about praying for daily needs. There's nothing unspiritual about that. This means that God is not like a genie who gives us only three wishes, and we better use them wisely. This means that God is not like the great and powerful Wizard of Oz, in which before we could ask him anything, we got to go do a feat of strength. we got to go kill the wicked witch. No, okay, what, what father, and this is some to what, to what Josh read this morning, but what father in here um, if, would tell his child, look, like, if you're going to even so much as talk to me, son, it better be about something big, something very, like, don't, you don't be coming up here with me with all this Pokemon. I don't want to talk about Pokemon. 
It's, it's important or hush. You know, like if a fallen parent, a fallen dad wouldn't do that, then how much more so will our good, good father hear our, hear our pleas, both great and small? I mean, this is, I love this. It's like they're, they're, the bar isn't very high of what we can go to our father for. You know, this is a declaration that it's God who gives. You know, our health, our children, our friends, our homes, our clothes, our career. I'm like, everything comes from the Lord. And I remember a few years ago praying over a meal at home, and, and one of the kids asked, I mean, it's a good question, they're like, why, why are we thanking God? You're like, Mama made this meal for us. Mama made this. And it was a, a good question, but it's like, you know, though our clothes and our food come from stores you, you typically, right? It is, it's the Lord that rules over climate and agricultural and economic conditions. Like it, it's, it's the Lord who gives us the talents and skills and the job and the resources that, that enable us to purchase food and clothing and shelter. It, it's the Lord that has even given us the, the opportunity to even prepare a meal. And so we give thanks. But not only does this prayer point us to our dependency on God, it, it also tells us about our responsibility to each other here. And it's interesting that when Jesus taught his people how to pray, he said, this, all right, this is how you pray. You, you all right, go to your room all by yourself, you shut the door, and then alone you pray in secret, our Father. And since that's the case, you would think that he would tell us to pray, Father, give, can you give me today my daily bread? But he doesn't do that. You know, Jesus teaches us to pray by saying, give us each day our daily bread. This is a communal prayer, which means Jesus isn't just calling us upward to God, but he's also calling us outward to each other, to our brothers and sisters, that as believers, we're not lone wolves. Not only do we depend on God for daily bread, but apparently, God also wants us to depend on each other. In other words, and I know we say this all the time, but there, there's a reason why God blesses us with more than we need. Um, he blesses us so that we can give how only blessed people can give. As Kent Hughes says, when we pray this prayer, we're committing ourselves to be part of God's answer for others in need. So daily dependence on God, and oftentimes God works through his people in giving those, those daily dependencies. But that's not all we see. Uh, in this short prayer here, we also see our second point, which is we see a bold cry of, of future confidence, not just daily, but future confidence uh, in the Lord. So the word daily here uh, is an extremely unique word. And y'all know how pastors can use hyperbole a lot. They're like, this is like the most greatest, most awesome thing ever. Well, this really is. A, a like literally extremely unique word, maybe the most unique word in all of the New Testament. Because in all of Greek literature, this, this word right here is only used two times, like two times in all of the, the history of Greek literature. It's, uh, well, it's here, and then it's in Matthew's recording of this same teaching. It's interesting because they had, they had a lot of words. They had very plain words that meant daily, like take your daily vitamin, but Jesus didn't use that word. And since, since this word 
uh, it isn't used any other place. It's almost as if, I don't know, but this is speculation, but it's almost as if Jesus and his disciples just kind of made up this word to better communicate this really kind of complex gospel reality that Jesus was teaching. The word is epiousios. And so listen to what the Greek lexicon says. It says epiousios is an extremely rare word of debated meaning. Among the possibilities of that meaning are daily or for the future. And so in some translations, if you have your Bible, especially the ESV, you'll see a footnote note up by where it says daily bread, that down at the bottom it says, or our bread of tomorrow. And so because of this, scholars and Christians have read this, this passage with a dynamic meaning that not only is this about God meeting our immediate needs, but it's also a prayer for future grace, that God will also meet our needs in the future. So this is a cry of confidence that whatever comes tomorrow, God's going to be there, seeing us through you know, to, to his glory and our good. And because of this, throughout the church, throughout church history, it's, this prayer has been interpreted kind of like this is how it's been taught. If we pray this prayer in the morning, we're declaring that we depend on God's, God's grace to give us what we need that day. And if we pray it at night, we're declaring that for the next day, for tomorrow's needs. And so, I mean, can you see how this simple prayer for daily bread, it really it is kryptonite for our worries. It, it, it slays them. As, as children of our good, good Father, not only can we trust God for our emotional and spiritual and physical needs for today, but also for tomorrow and every day, which means like, we don't have to worry. So much of life is worrying about tomorrow. Remember what Jesus said about that. We worry about tomorrow. Can we handle what's going to happen next week? Can we worry about what's going to happen next decade? Can we handle that diagnosis that we are no doubt going to get at some point? And here we say that we, we see that we don't have to fear that because God knows. And God will provide exactly what we need in the present and in the future. He's our gracious provider, and he will come through for us. And we pray that prayer, Psalm 84, that, that promise that no good thing does God withhold. Which means in Christ, God has not and will not refuse to give us one thing that's good for us. And now, of course, this is where the elephant in the room pops up, especially if you're somewhat skeptical or you just don't know if you believe any of this. This is where you, you rise up here. Because more than likely, that hasn't been our lived experience, has it? Uh, more than likely, things have happened in our life or things happen in our world, in our community, that make us think often, God, uh, this doesn't seem good. And often what we think to be good and what God knows to be ultimately good aren't the same things. And so what happens when we pray and we pray for something and yet God gives us something else? Uh, what happens when we pray for success but fail big time? Or when we pray for our loved ones to get better but they never get better? Actually, they get worse. Um, you know, so many people leave the church, leave, leave the faith over things like that. You know, what happens when we pray to to have a child, but children never come. It's heartbreaking. And what do we do? Well, in those moments, what we truly think about God has a tendency of coming out, right? And when we fail to see God as a good and sovereign father, 
we possibly can cheapen God and see him really more as a vending machine. I mean, really as a genie in a bottle. And when we view God like that, we'll say, well, if God can't give me what I want, the Mountain Dew never came out, then I don't want anything. I don't want anything to do with it. The vending machine is broken. And let's just take it to the trap. I mean, it's good for nothing. And people blame God for hurt and pain all the time. But just because people do that, it doesn't mean it's right. I mean, the pain and the suffering is very real. But the theology is just oh so wrong there. And so look, and I don't mean to make light of anyone's pain or doubts. And I know that anytime we try to use an illustration, we're at risk of like kind of clicheing things. But, but in a very small way, it's, it's kind of like this. So the other day, I was talking to Jude, and I asked if he could have anything in the whole world. If he could ask for anything in the whole world, what would he want? What, you know, what would he ask for? What would be his version of just the ultimate good? And Jude said, well, that's easy. I think about that all the time. He said, I would ask to live in a house with a huge fish tank with a shark in it. And then I'd ask for all the stuffed animals in the whole world to be free for one day. Which is weird that he's like, it's free. You have to, you have to order them on that day. But they're free for that one day and you can get them all. All right, now, now to Jude, there may not be a higher good on this earth than shark tank and free stuffed animals, right? Well, could it be, possibly be, that my version of good, our version of good, is, is kind of like Jude's version of good? <laughs> we just don't see the big, we fail to see the big picture. You know, when I was 18, and maybe like many of you, I thought I had it, I, I knew what was wrong with the world, and I thought I knew how to fix it. Then, when I turned 25, I thought, wow, I was an idiot when I was 18, right? And now I'm in my 40s, and I'm wondering, how did I even survive as a 25-year-old? And from what I gather from those of you in the room who've been around longer than me, that trend just continues as you go through life, right? And I know this is offensive to some of you, but as Tim Keller put it, the Bible says we're always idiots, like always idiots, that we're always the kid who thinks we know best. That we think we've got the market on what is good. We, we never outgrow our limited perspective on life. And Westminster, that's why it's awesome that our God is not a vending machine because heaven knows we would all die by Cheetos. Like we would all die, right? And that's why it's awesome that our God isn't a genie in a bottle granting us our exact wishes because we'd all, like Jude, we'd die from some weird combination of sharks and stuffed animals, right? And the, the most tragic thing God could do is give us everything that we wanted, but rather, God is our good and loving and sovereign Father who gives us always exactly what we need. And I love this line. I, I think this is Tim Keller. He said, no matter what, we can totally trust God to give us exactly what we would want if we knew everything he knows, Right? That God gives us exactly what we would want if we knew everything that he knows. And so just because we can't see it at the time does not mean God's not giving us good things. And so this is a prayer that says we can be confident in his care. And then finally, this is a reminder of the gospel today 
and the, and the reality of our beautiful future tomorrow. You know, Jesus, Jesus always talked about bread. Jesus said, you just thought Israel needed bread in the wilderness, but our souls need sustenance even more. And so he said, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So don't you want life? Uh, don't, don't you want hope? Like, don't you want purpose? In John 6, Jesus just, Jesus just came out and said it. He said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, if you have me, you, you've got life. Which means this isn't just a cry for physical daily needs, daily food, but this is also a cry for Jesus to satisfy our longing souls. For Jesus to fill that hole that Reebok pumps and avocado just, can't, just cannot fill. And so Jesus came into our Atkins diet keto world and he brought soul sustenance. And he said, I am not only what you need, but I'm, actually, I'm what you actually want. And so this is a prayer to daily ask Jesus to give us himself. As Josh read this morning, to ask, to seek, to knock. But then if we're in him, if we, if we have Jesus and we're saved, then we also see that we have a confidence in our beautiful future. You know, when Jesus, when the Bible talked about heaven, oftentimes it talks about a marriage, a party. It, it often talks about bread, this great feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, in which the bread of heaven, the very source of life and sustenance, will be served. And so that's what we're praying this morning. We're, we're confessing our daily dependence on God, that I am of small account, but we're also crying out for the bread of salvation now, and also for the hope of the bread of eternity tomorrow. And so with that, I want us to end our sermon this morning really by inviting us all to stand and to close out this prayer together uh, by praying this very thing for our daily bread today. So if you have your bulletins, I invite you to stand and we'll close out by praying what we have learned to be the disciples' prayer. This is praying like only a Christian can pray. So pray with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.